Welcome to the Old Chats Pod with me, Amesha here. And me, James Factor. This podcast will tackle the taboo topic of mental health in a raw, honest and jovial way. With two good mates who've met in London talking about their own mental health hiccups with some help from some special guests along the way. Welcome to episode 25. This is the Relationship Chat. Here we speak to Jack Robson about his mental health story, the importance of relationships with those closest to him, and how he reassessed the relationship with himself. Hello, Factor. How's it going? Yeah, good man, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Oh, Christ. He's into his his laptops. I've run out of battery. We've lost him. Dodgy Wi-Fi in Windsor. The Queen's, Queen's, the Queen's stealing it all. Queen's <laughs> Nah, I think when it said you're recording it, it said, do you want to leave? And I might have pressed yes by mistake. We're very lucky to have a certain man here who has led some very victorious HAC teams in the past. One of my defining moments of my rugby career is seeing this man wearing a full suit and tie to our cup final. <laughs> prior to the game uh, which which we which we won uh, luckily but yeah so pleasure to have you on Jack thank Watson. you for having me it's been a it's been a long time coming yes very true mate back home living in Windsor now but it's probably the best way to kick off is probably how you find kind of found your mental health and your obviously whistle stop time kind of your journey so, I mean my, my journey's been the way I describe it is very short short lived because it happened I guess I went from being the person that I thought I was to the person that I became and the person that I am now within a space of like two to three years before I had any sort of mental health issues or knew anything about mental health issues. I would never have expected it to happen to me, you know, like as you, as you boys know, I grew up in Windsor, I went to a boys school where it was very sports orientated and, you know, I was in the sporty crowd. So uh, it was, it was sink or swim in terms of mentality you had to you had to stay afloat with some resilience to to just make it socially to sort of to click with people socially as well. I think a lot of people were cut from the same cloth in my year group, which was quite fortunate. But you know, no one when we were growing up kind of ever expected that anyone would need to know about mental health issues or that if you had a mental I don't want to say breakdown, but you know if you if you suffered people wouldn't really know how, how to deal with it. Um, and it wasn't really until I started my legal career where I started to experience certain things like panic attacks and just anxiety in general to then leading to me when I started, you know, training to be a solicitor and then becoming one. That was like the, the time in which like I completely changed and I guess sunk into a, a mentality or a mindset where, I had to deal with mental health issues and had to try and find a way out of it. And I guess try and rediscover yourself. It's probably the best way to put it. Cause when you, when I was going through it, I definitely forgot who I was or I didn't feel like I was the same person anymore. How old were you when you started seeing probably acknowledge it? Maybe best way to put it is like acknowledge it. Uh, probably 28 when I, when I was really going through it beforehand, you know, in my twenties, I was very happy, go lucky, and just lived each week as it came and enjoyed myself as much as possible. Like I was, I'm quite a big believer in, you know, we're here for a, a good time, not a long time. So I always make sure that I'm, I'm trying to do things that I enjoy. I don't put myself in situations where I know I'm going to be uncomfortable, uh, not necessarily uncomfortable, but where I'm going to be unhappy. So uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a late, a late realization. And you say just for. Obviously, for us and people listening, you know, you felt anxiety in in the in the office mm. place. So when you started working as a solicitor, could you sort of explain, just go in more detail about exactly, you know, those sensations and how it would kind of manifest itself, and so people can kind of get a picture of it. Yeah, no, for sure. I um, I it was first noticed when I was doing my LPC, which for those that don't know is. The, the sort of course you have to do before you do your training as a solicitor and it's quite an intense course you do it for about eight months and there's like 
I think, 10 exams in total, maybe more. And I was doing it uh, alongside work because I wasn't uh, academically, I guess, elite enough to, to earn a, tra- a training contract where, you know, like a law firm pays for that course and they do all your training covered for you. So I was working alongside it. So I'd work like 7 a.m. till half 12, drive myself to Guildford and then work at the, at the law school one till four thirty, and then drive home do my do my studying because the studying is quite rigorous and then do the same the next day and it was I guess I get four months into that course I, I was driving home one day and I just sort of I felt really claustrophobic all of a sudden I was really aware of all the sounds that were going on around me I was my concentration suddenly went really erratic at the, the steering wheel um and I got short of breath. So I guess that was like the first panic attack I ever had. But I didn't know at the time that it was a panic attack. I just felt the sensation all of a sudden physically. Um, and I just, you know, at the time just thought, oh, I'm stressed. Yeah. You kind of brush it off and keep moving when you, you know, when you first start experiencing those things. But that was the first one. But then as I started to train more, like as a solicitor, I guess it was kind of around the time when I started coaching with JP at HAC. And I was very busy in my life, like obviously taking on a, a supporting coach role with, with you guys. I just, I just like would get a sensation of I can't be around anyone and I'd have to like leave the office and have to go be myself, get outside, go for a walk. You know, I just, it was, I guess it was confined. I felt confined where I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was like, yeah, the, the start of the realisation about the, the mental health issues and anxiety and things like that. Yeah, and and did people around you? Did they a? Do you think they noticed that change in you? And did they talk to you about it at any point? Well, or did people not really guess? Were you putting it on the front for it? It was difficult because at first you don't really realise what you're going through, do you? Yeah. Because I guess one of the symptoms of anxiety is irritability, and um, I just felt that some people were just like either being around them was winding me up, or I was um uncomfortable being around certain people so I would remove myself from that situation so I wouldn't necessarily do it in a way that would draw attention to myself I'll just try and get out quietly and then sort myself out but the more it happened you know certain people picked up on I had a um an office manager at the law firm I was at and she sat opposite me and she was basically like my work mum she she started picking up on things and noticing and would just sort of calm me down in a very motherly way, which is very helpful <laughs> when you're in the, in the law firm. Um, but most people in my life didn't notice. I had to tell a lot of people that I was suffering from something or like, you know, I had to explain to them after something had happened why I had to run out or like why I snapped at them. So it was it was difficult, I think, to get people to realise. Yeah, I mean, you say there then, Robert, it was like the times that we kind of knew you as well. And don't get me wrong, in the grand scheme of things, we saw you for a couple of hours a week, but you didn't seem mm. like you were any different. But then having said that, we didn't know anything different, if that made sense. Like, you yeah, didn't, didn't. Yeah. But from the times that we knew you in those times, if you said that was when you're struggling, we couldn't. No, well. exactly. And I mean, that's again why I think it's important. One of the things that I started to, to do was to, to, it was annoying me that people weren't realizing that I was getting anxious. Yeah. So I I started to like, you know, have arguments with my, my ex-girlfriend and get, you know, have a go at her for not being caring enough for me. But then sometimes she'd be caring and I wouldn't want it because she was closing in on my space. So it was a lose-lose situation for her every time she tried to help. Um, but with you guys, it was like, yeah, like you said, it was like a Saturday or a Wednesday but I distinctly remember a couple of times and the one that stands out is when we did the double header. So we basically, we were playing Hammersmith and Fulham at Ryslip and we realised that we were playing them to win the cup, but also if we beat them or if they beat us, one team would win the league. So we agreed with them to do a double header mm. in one game. Um, so I got the trains King's Cross and I got Metropolitan Line to Ryslip because that's where it was being hosted. And I had to spend the whole time like talking myself into appearing, just appearing in front of you guys. And 
I felt that was pretty like my lowest mental point because I just had been suffering on my own for so long. And I knew that there were like 20 lads that I was going to go see that were counting on somebody to give them, a, you know, a little bit of motivation. And you guys know me, like I wasn't necessarily like a, a tactician or a, a sports coach or a rugby coach by by trade. But what I think I did is I I came in and I, and I gave an energy to people and I told people what they needed to hear to try and get them ready for the game and then organise everything um, so that it was seamless for the players to sort of come up, come out on a game day and get that, get what they needed to, to do done. And then, you know, hopefully get the win. But I, yeah, that day I was on the train for a good, I think it took about 45 minutes to get there. And I just, I just didn't want to be there. didn't want to go. And I was nearly crying. Um, I think I called my uncle because he was somebody that I could lean on and talk to. Uh, but it's weird, isn't it? Because when you get around people, it can change you. It can sort of lift you. And I turned up and the boys were in good spirits and it definitely just sort of got me through it. And then as soon as, you know, as soon as we're in the game, I'm distracted and I'm focused on something. But it was, that was a very difficult morning. Um, so yeah, Mesh, you, you probably wouldn't have known because I was hiding it, but it was an internal battle just to even be there that day. And quite a, quite a couple, a few other days, to be honest. I mean, it's commendable that obviously able to come through it. But yeah, it's one of those things where yeah, if you like after the game, if you even said that you this what mm. you just said now, we would have been like we'd never have guessed. Generally, we'd mm. never have guessed because the way you you just like you yeah. yourself. Well, we exactly, that. and that's why I think like the relationships around you are are important if you're going through something and. I guess it's why a lot yeah. of men who commit suicide they feel so alone because they feel like they don't have anyone to talk to, not just men but you know mainly men. And uh, you know what my what could I have done that morning is like turn up and say you know bearing in mind like your players and you're trying to get yourself psyched up for a game. If your manager turned up and was like, I'm really struggling today, lads. I, I don't think I can, I can do it. I'm just going to go back home. You guys take control. Like that's just going to bring. A downer, so you, you kind of put responsibility above your own welfare. Yes, at that point, but it's, yeah. it's a dangerous thing. So it's important to have people that you you can lean on, like my uncle, like players that are going to give you energy, or just a team around you at work, or some people that you can sort of trust to help you through it. And then the stuff that you're doing internally kind of take us take a step forward and get you to, to where you need to go to get through the day you said your uncle what's um did he know sort of what, why did you pick him basically to talk to did he have an understanding of your situation uh not necessarily i know that i mean just to give you some context he's like he's 49 now but i've known him since he was like in his early 20s and uh he, he was just one of those sort of family members that always looks out for you we've got a good relationship i've worked for him to earn money before so we've got this like level of trust um but he's also somebody that i can talk to if i can't talk to my parents right. not not to say that i didn't tell my mum that i was suffering um i did eventually but I, I i knew that he was somebody that had experienced it himself so i felt if i spoke to him he could give me some advice and to be honest with you a lot of the times i did speak to him he didn't really give me advice but when you talk to somebody about it especially if you trust them, it can just give you that little boost that you need to sort of get you through the next couple of hours. Yeah. It, it seems if you didn't have anyone to listen to you. Yeah, exactly. Was there to listen. Yeah. And just put it into perspective and, and can't, cause just staying with the issue takes some weight off of it, doesn't it? Just talking to someone about hundred percent. It's almost like when you're trying to, you know, when you, you're trying to work something out in your head and you ask somebody the question, but then you start answering yourself out loud it's kind of like that. You don't actually need them to answer it for you. You just need to have someone to bounce off. And it's so important. Um, but then also saying that is, it depends on the person. I think you do, you do need to find somebody that you can, um, you sort of know that they're going to get it because like I said, with my girlfriend, my ex-girlfriend, uh, she tried, but didn't really understand it. And I think that causes a massive disconnect from, being able to help help me um even I think I spoke to it a couple of times with JP 
and he's he said to me before that he he didn't get it he he doesn't understand he's never suffered from it pro- like well he hadn't at the time um and he he would give me sort of advice but he just he just listened to me all he he would have like an hour phone call and I'd probably be talking the whole time and uh he would just be like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um which was it interesting because he didn't necessarily help me but he he made he didn't make me feel alone which is so important so yeah and those are i guess those can be the toughest calls or conversations to have because they don't actually have an answer to them like we're so used to asking questions for things that we want a definitive answer to and we think it's silly to to bring something up if there's no real like tangible solution or not like yeah. you know something that someone can do so it's getting, just getting to that habit isn't it of getting into a system of talking to someone about it and just trusting that they'll be just listen to it and they won't be you, you're not having to force them to give an answer to it and so yeah the and i think like i mean what i said is like i know i've just said find people you can trust so you can or that you trust that they'll understand it but jp is an example of somebody that you, you you don't need to understand it because he didn't make me feel alone. So I guess the message is like to just talk it to anybody, like get your phone book out and just, if you're feeling like you, you, you're alone and you need to talk it out, just pick somebody and just try and get it into the conversation. Or even if you don't, if you can just talk to them, you'll just feel, you'll feel a little bit better and then you can just tackle the next couple of hours or so. Well, sound really healthy from what you said about the office as well. It's having, so like your work mum or someone there who could kind of, you know, was looking out for you a bit and could understand what you're going through. Because I I know like for myself, like the office, the working environment, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you want to put a face on and like we should have a face at work, I think, that's different from with your friends and everything else. But it can go to, it can go way too far, I think, sometimes. And then it just causes, it like as in, it causes more anxiety and and a detriment to the work when you don't have that kind of like human yeah. like contact it's like actually I'm because str- I'm, you're not supposed to be struggling at work that's like you don't want people to think that but yeah. it's so it's getting so much more important now to for staff and for work for bosses I guess to be aware that you know these conversations are not a sign of weakness or doing the job wrong it's just you're going to be a better employee to, if you have that connection with like work mum or work you know whoever yeah. that sounds like it's um that sounded really beneficial it did and there's such a good point about the work environment because i think 70 percent, 75 percent of the reason why i was suffering was because of my boss because it was the kind of person that demanded a lot belittled you a lot and like nothing was ever good enough and i've, I've never had that in my life i've never felt like i wasn't good enough for anything when i started the job um, I felt confident and then I slowly like noticed myself become less and less confident. And, you know, this person would constantly point out my errors and constantly say things like if I was to go to a bigger firm or a bigger company that I wouldn't last a, a certain amount of time because I was making so many errors. And the errors that I, were make, I was making were, you know, like little typos or like a, punctuation error or something like that you know this, this this person was just on it and I think too much so because as soon as I left that place it, it I felt like a release like I, I like I literally escaped yeah. something um mm-hmm. so having a work environment that's like going to be I guess comfortable for you to be at and friendly and somewhere where you, you you feel like I guess a sense of camaraderie and trust is important because you do need at least one person to 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 speak to to admit what's going on and so they can help you accept it. Yeah, you can't often only as good as the people around you sometimes as well, especially if it's someone you're meant to be inspired mm. by the people you're around and if someone above you is belittling you, then it's obviously going to have a detrimental effect. But just just a little rewind what you said earlier when you talk about like speaking to someone if you're suffering. Like, I think there's one thing that we don't do is like we're not as good listeners, but also the people at the other end of that phone, I think, like I've been in that position before where 
you put pressure on yourself to find an answer, but you're never going to solve mental health in one phone call. And I think the person listening should never should never put pressure on themselves to think, oh, I've got to give them give them the golden nugget of knowledge. It's just literally being someone to listen to. A hundred percent. And I think it's a very good point because I was almost looking to call people up for them to try and make me feel yeah. better. And I never I never really did, but it, it did improve me. It did make me, you know, get on that train home or, you know, walk, you know, it, I would walk home. So basically I, li- I worked in King's Cross and I lived in, uh, for the first part of it, I, I lived in Barnes and I lived in um, White City. So I was going north to west every day. Um, I'd walk home. I'd walk home and call people and try and speak to as many people as I could or if it was one person for a long time just to like you say just to, to see if it will do something it might it might not necessarily make me feel 100% better but it might make me 1% better and that's better than how I was when I left the office so yeah. important I think it's a big thing I've realised over the last what, 18 22 years it's like only you're the only person who's going to help you you should never, should never dictate your, your well-being on someone else. Like it's up to you. You're the one who's going to have to make the change and make the initiative to, to make yeah. yourself feel better. Yeah, it's true. But one of the things that I think is also important with like, around that is your environment because yeah. you, or like you know, when I was suffering, I was trying my hardest to to solve the problem myself. But I didn't realise that there were so many things going on around me that weren't were holding me back, basically. Mm. So like I so like I said, I started that that job and I was training to be a solicitor. I was on a very low low salary in, in living in London, which put a lot of like stress on me financially. I was living in a place that wasn't making me happy I was basically in this four-person flat in White City basically like like the student accommodation and your door is right opposite somebody else's door and the people that I, were li- I was living with I didn't really know and they were quite loud and the, the, the apartment block was loud and you're coming from a place of stress during the day I was at work for 12 hours a day and then coming home to this this flat and not being able to chill out and around people I don't know, with no money, I can't go out, <laughs> I can't escape it. It's a self-perpetuating cycle of misery. It sounds silly, doesn't it? Because like people, if listening, they might sort of think that, oh, we know you had a bad boss and you had a bad living place and everything. So like you should have seen, you know, your environment was the issue. But actually, you know, Mesh and I have talked to enough people now to know that when you're in your own life like that, and if you ha- if you are going through some kind of anxiety or something, you just lose that perspective completely. And it's really yeah. important to keep pulling your your head out from your yeah. own sort of being and taking a fresh look at it. Because if people haven't gone through that kind of thing, then you know they don't really. They're just like, well, yeah, yeah, just make these changes and you'll be fine. But at the time, it's never that. It's never that simple. And and sometimes it doesn't even. Um, you can't change it, but also you might not even be aware yeah. of it, and that's sort of cycles the anxiety back because you're not entirely sure what's going on the day that I made the first bit of progress was when I accepted that I was in it because like you said you're constantly trying to get out of it or like people think you should try and remove yourself from that situation so you can sort yourself out but you have to accept that you're in it to start your your journey out of it and you know, I don't think anybody yeah. ventures into a place of darkness where they start suffering. But you might find yourself in a place of darkness, which I definitely did. I sort of just wandered through life and then ended up in this place. And somebody else was in my brain. And well, I felt like it. somebody else was in my brain because I didn't feel like myself. And then, the, then I'm trying to fight my way out of it. And actually, you accept that, that person is you. And the situation is yours and you start mentally making a, a list of things that will, that could benefit you. So I, like, I know Meshi wanted to talk about sort of the things that I did during my journey to try, to try and help. And um, it's like I said, it started with walking 
so I'd walk I'd talk give myself a little bit of breathing space from that from that office and also doing something that didn't cost money <laughs> um <laughs> and then I started because I was was having trouble trouble sleeping I started taking like calms I don't know if you've tried calms to sort of mellow you out it's like um it's herbal it's a herbal remedy it just chills you out but it might also be placebo I don't know I started doing that and then I start the I think the, the key turning point is when I started doing CBT and uh and reading and right. reading about mental health because when you're talking to somebody that understands it from a medical perspective it can tell like start telling you things about why you're reacting and I think a lot of the the anxiety that comes from mental health is the the lack of understanding what's going on with you and you start to fear everything and so when you start to like talk about it and talk about yep. okay yeah it's your it's there's a physical change in your body there's a lack of chemicals in your brain or whatever and all of a sudden you start thinking right well I know how to change that and there are ways to change it and once you see the path starting opening out in front of you you can then have you know start treating yourself with a bit more care yeah for sure it's finding what works for you isn't it it's that relationship you have with your own self yeah it is because people talk about self-care a lot and I, I've, I've always considered myself to be quite altruistic and you know I've, I'm, I have a reputation for being that relationship guy who's always had long-term relationships with people and so like my last partner was like two and a half years one before that was five years or more so the majority of my 20s have spent in in relationships with people and I was never really putting myself first so then when you're in a situation where you need to do that it teaches you that you do need to like care for yourself and start accepting things about yourself and learning about yourself in order to then become the person you kind of want to be when you're in that dark place and you say you take it so the, the sort of the medicinal calm stuff as well and then reading about the mental health in general um and then when you started when you started to feel better then how did you sort of how did that come about how did what was the kind of i mean how how are you now basically is what i'm asking like and compared to then and then and why are you still are you still doing you know reading and taking stuff or are you moving on to something else now uh so i would say now i am great like i couldn't be happier um and in the context of things like i'm living you know i'm i'm 30 years old i'm living at home with my parents you know if you told me that two years ago or two three years ago i'd think i'm a loser but obviously there's been a pandemic and i moved home literally a week before that but I'm now in a position where I'm like, buy, I'm, I'm about, I've had an offer accepted in the flat in Windsor. Um, I mean, thank you very much. <laughs> I'm in, uh, I'm in good shape. Uh, but I feel, I just feel like, I feel brilliant. Like I just feel great. And the things that I'm doing to maintain that, I guess, is just, I don't, I, I don't necessarily flip out if I start to feel anxious or scared about something or if I'm sad for a day you know whereas beforehand I would dwell on those things and worry about those things so like I had I had a big night out a couple of weeks ago and on the Sunday I was having a bath <laughs> and I had a panic attack like two weeks ago but because I, I now understand it and I understand the physiology of a panic attack yeah. And that there's a fight or flight response within you that you don't have control of. I literally sat in that bath and go, I'm having a panic attack. And then I just sort of, I laid down, I was like, right, what do I need to do? And I started going through the motions in my head about like, okay, well, the, these things work for, for panic attacks. This is what a panic attack is. This is how you can sort of bring your body to, to chill out again. Because when you sort of stop worrying that you're going to die, <laughs> Because a lot of people, like when I had my first one, I literally thought I was dying. I was having a heart attack because the symptoms are quite similar. And you don't, if you haven't had one before and you don't know what it is, mm. you're going to be like, I'm having a heart attack, I'm dying. <laughs> but when you understand it and you learn about it and you, you can then take care of yourself when it happens to you, 
and it's like having a having a well not having a cold but it's like scraping your knee you know or if you've got a headache you know what to do if you've got a hangover you know what you're going to do it's the same sort of thing but the body is a, is a strange and wonderful thing but having an understanding of things like that really does help so i guess yeah to answer the question factors like i don't really take anything now i don't really do anything unusual in my day-to-day life to sort of maintain my mental state but if i do have a, a lapse like well, the other day you know where i start to have a panic attack i just yeah. i just accept it it's, it's happening but i guess i'm kind of i've got the benefit of having been through all, yeah. like the past and i've got perspective whereas a lot of people don't have perspective and so it's very important to try and get yourself into a position where you can get that perspective if yeah. you know what I mean yeah and, and like you know talking about it like this now it all seems to be you know with Mesh and I and other people it's mostly around this kind of uh, mid-twenties time actually where it seems to be yeah. a pattern that um, we've noticed through that and like you said it's about when you come through it and you have that perspective you feel stronger in yourself mm. and you're more confident in it but obviously I think if you're living if you're living life properly and if you're, you're pushing yourself and you're you're trying to put yourself outside your comfort zone in work and life in general, you're probably going to go through something like maybe not, you know, as extreme as, as yours or, or yeah. less or more, but it'll be something like that. So it's, yeah. And talking about it and getting people aware that you might go through that at some point is, is hugely important. Yeah, Hugely important. You know, it, it's having an understanding of things is comfort it's like, why do we have all these scientists doing all this research in like NASA and space and things like that? We're trying to find, we're forever searching for answers. And so if you don't know where to look or where to go or how to get them, you'll find yourself going through the, the cycles we talked about earlier. And I think I'm just, I guess I'm quite lucky in the sense that I'm quite an inquisitive person myself. And I, it, it comes down to, I guess, a certain aspect of control, but also a certain aspect of, of desire. And, you know, if, if the more that you you have, the more desire you have to go and learn, the more you'll be able to understand things. And then when you understand things, you'll be able to control your reaction to things. Yeah. Uh, I wanted actually to ask, um, you said that before the, the panic attacks came, you, you were just happy-go-lucky, as you said. That's kind of how we know you as well. Yeah. Um, looking back now, having gone through it, do you think that there is, is it just, do you think it's just a one-off thing that happened to you? Or do you think there's something personality-wise that you kind of think is, you know, kind of linked to it in some way and you kind of think, oh, actually, that was probably, might have gone on to that at some point or would you, you left it? Uh, possibly personality-wise. Like I do, I do, find it hard to turn off the tap sometimes so like for example on a on a night out i'm usually the last one standing or one of them um so i'm putting my my sleep you know to the back burner i don't really care about that i want to i'm all about having a good time i was actually having a conversation the other day i was saying to somebody like when it's my friend's birthday i feel the right thing to do is to party until they're done yeah, yeah. <laughs> to make sure, to make, sure they, to make sure they have a good time exactly and they even the person i was speaking to even said like i it's not your obligation and it's like i know i just i just feel like it's like it's the right thing to do it means something to them so i'm putting them first uh so that pro- pro- like aspect of my personality like you said I'm, i want other people to be happy um yeah. to my to, to a fault yeah you know even with my career, uh, I don't think I'll ever be satisfied with the current performance of my work. Like I, I have recently started to take uh, appreciation of things that I've achieved because I have, you know, I, I used to say to people, anyone could be a lawyer just to try and sort of like deflect the fact that someone's like, oh, you're a lawyer, you know, all you work in music, it's, a, it's kind of a big deal. And I'd deflect, I'd try and deflect, but... I should I should be I should be pretty happy with what I've achieved because when I set out to study law when I was seventeen, 
the goal was to be in music and to be successful in the music industry. And I think, you know, I work for Sony Music in the legal department and I, I see some pretty important like documents on a day-to-day basis and I, I deal with some interesting people and it's very fascinating and you know I, I feel like really happy with what I do I should be satisfied with it so you know that's that's sort of a difficult thing for me to sort of do is to sort of like take take stock of where I am I'm always like previously in fact I was always looking at like what's next yeah you're not celebrating you're not celebrating the little wins as well you just yeah exactly that's that's definitely who I was before, but like like I said, I'm trying I'm trying to be more happy and uh, content with what I've achieved in the now, in the present. Yeah, for sure. I know you mentioned before about how at some of your lowest points, you probably behaviour and your emotional state kind of changed. And I know you mentioned with the girlfriend at the time, you know, you're quite yeah. irritable. Um, do you reckon? Do you reckon you were irritable because you didn't know how to speak about your emotions to it, or just because you didn't understand? Oh, you didn't understand what you were trying to express i think it's a probably a combination of a lot of things i think there's the lack of at, at the time the, the lack of knowledge on her part um the, and the lack of knowledge on my part i think i put a lot of pressure on her to be that person that was gonna like we talked about earlier the person that's gonna you're gonna speak to and they're just gonna make all your problems go away and that was unfair of me to do that because as we know like it's it, it's not going to happen by talking to, to one person or and then it, it, and then like if you add the fact that I wasn't like emotionally frustrated and unable to f- be happy in what, like or accept anything it just all combined into being a toxic place and I was prob- like I, I look back now at the person I was in that relationship and I don't recognize that person and I used to say to her I used to say like if you knew me before this stage in my life you would think that I'm so much better. Um, so yeah, there's a, a lot of a lot of things that was were new to both of us, which sort of ultimately led. I mean, it it, it wasn't one of the only reasons why we split, but I think it contributed massively to why we split. It also, to an extent, it comes to a point whereby, like, you got to look after yourself as well, because I had the two the two relationships I've had, I've Kind of similar but different. But I was, like, I was at low points personally. I'm with mental health, but I just found it hard to talk to them because I was like the fear of losing them. Yeah, ironically, I was, I was when we broke up with them. By the end of it, because I was like, I need to look after myself. See, I didn't have that kind of, um, I guess, com- not confidence, but like I wasn't brave enough to do that. So with this particular ex girlfriend, I was relying on her for my happiness because yeah. she was. A- she's a great person and like we got on really well and I think in that period of my life the only times that I felt truly happy were when I was with her and we were we were like good so I used to always look forward to being around her or like talking to her and that just built up so much pressure because she's one person she you know she was also like in in her early 20s and had career aspirations herself and had friends that she wanted to see and stuff. And I was too demanding because I put too much onus on her to make me happy. Does she, have you spoken to her about this since or was this going to be uh, not, she going to hear, I mean, hear some of this? We've spoken not necessarily with this kind of perspective as I have now. Cause like I said, like I'm in a really good place now. And I also don't think I would be in this place if we hadn't, if, if she hadn't split up with me. That's such a good point. I was just about to say that. Yeah, it's like you can now look back. Hindsight's obviously great, but you can now reflect on a lot of that stuff. And now, now, now you yeah. have improved your knowledge about healthy. But oh, that's why I did it. Yeah, exactly. Like I've been tempted so many times to actually get in touch with her because there was a couple. Like we have exchanged texts, uh, like last or the like earlier in the year she congratulated me on something and it was like near her birthday so I wished her happy birthday afterwards but um I've thought about like messaging her and like giving this whole like spiel about it was a it was a, it was a bad time and like I I was about I wasn't aware enough of what was going on within me 
and that you know there's no no hard feelings all that sort of stuff uh i don't know but like do you know what? it's not i don't know whether she needs to hear that you know it's not i can't i can't decide that for her if she if she wanted to talk to me about it it would be an interesting conversation to have because i think we've had such time apart to reflect or at least i have and i know that it was a good decision so yeah it i don't think i don't think it much good would come from from speaking but ultimately it it's it's worked to my favor because i've been able to treat myself better mm. since i didn't when we when i was in that relationship it's good you can see that now though like it says you're still with her now but you wouldn't you wouldn't have probably solved your you mental health hiccups you know what i mean that just been dragging on yeah exactly exactly and then, like i was definitely i had the, the foundations towards the end of the relationship to be to start getting better but i think the fact that we broke up it actually not necessarily like inspired me but it forced me to yeah. take care of myself and the pandemic as well like when you're not going out and seeing you're not even seeing your friends barely see barely even seeing your family and you have all this time to yourself like it really gave me this this sort of like period in my life to just just treat myself better to treat myself with kindness to look at what i'm doing and appreciate everything yeah for sure like, i've done this before like some of those points where you use like maybe even dating or just like then it's being around someone to as like a as like a short-term fix like any sort of like any sort of addiction it's yeah like, you just want to feel wanted to an extent don't you and it's like oh yeah it's nice to know someone else cares about you like that but when yeah you've actually got underlying problems that you've got to sort out yourself literally like you i know you know i'm quite fortunate that i don't have like anything going wrong going wrong for me in my life to make me sort of rue anything around me like my family is great my friends are great i don't i'm quite fortunate that i have all this around me to to make me feel like i appreciate my life i know a lot of people don't yeah. a lot of people don't like the way they look they don't have any friends or they don't have any family or they've been through some really tough things in their life it, it's, it i can probably i think it's easier for me to to get from a bad place to a good place whereas a lot of people don't and so you know it's easy for me to say i'm 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 lucky but it's it's, it's, a, it's a tough old journey for anybody yeah that's what i was going to say actually because it's, it's obviously you can do that whole wider comparison to people's yeah, issues exactly. but when it's you basically in the situation it's it's as real for yeah. anyone and like we, we all know we all know we all know that so i know you're you're saying like with the perspective you've got now like, mm. and I'm, I'm the same as well like I can look back and go like okay well that was that you know and now yeah you're in a position of uh of being stronger and you can see it for what it was but obviously when when you're in it it's it's very real and it's you know scary scary place oh, and... so hard. It, it, I think that's that's it like it gets to a certain point after a few months you're just like am I ever going to be the person that I remember myself being there was one one day I distinctly remember and I me and my ex-girlfriend went out for some dim sum and I remember we got a free glass of Prosecco with our meal and I cheersed her and I said this is the first day in like five months that I felt like me again and she was like what and I was just like yeah I feel like me again today and then the following day I felt shit again <laughs> And you, you just feel like you're in this dark hole. I actually, the way I would describe it is I felt like I was a passenger in my own head. And just, yeah, I felt like I had another personality. I had somebody else that was living my life and in control of everything and reacting to things. And I was screaming at myself, like, don't do that, don't do that. And it would happen anyway. It's also impossible to be happy every day, though. But I understand what you're saying. People say, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. But people, uh, a lot of people don't realise that. And um, it, it just really does start with yourself. You know, appreciate yourself, for trying to trying to get yourself to a place where you can appreciate yourself. Because everybody's got potential to be great. Everybody's 
got something going for them, you know. And I always believe that there's a if plan A doesn't work, there's a million other plans that can work. Now I had this conversation recently with somebody who's like, you know, kind of bit being quite woeful in in the sense that they're like, oh, I'm in this dead end job, I'm in my thirties and I've got nothing going for me. And you just want to sort of like grab them by the collar and be like, yeah, but you, you've got options. You can do it. You just, you just get there. And it's, it's then that made me take a step back and think like, I was that person. Like I didn't believe I could be a solicitor. I didn't believe I had anything going for me. I didn't like the way I looked. I didn't think that I could achieve anything or that I was anything. It's just, it's just hard to sort of like, there's no, there's no, People, there's no comparison that you can make because everybody's experience yeah. is different and it's and everyone i guess is going through the pressure to be happy as well which is something that we haven't really spoken yeah. i guess much about but like mesh and i have obviously talked about that before with like comparison if you compare you know too much and what other people are up to and putting pressure on yourself to be happy it just creates more of an issue than it solves so it's just taking a step back from that as well yeah and it goes back to like the learning how to accept because if you can accept that you can be sad yeah then it makes things so much easier to get to happiness again yeah exactly mate, give yourself the part of the back mate if you're, looking, you're a lawyer at sony record mate you're like harvey specter i mean there's people people love to do yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. and you're looking great as well can i just say <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a it's a miracle like uh i don't know if you guys remember when i shaved my head yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so i was losing my hair because of, uh, of the stress. Well, I put it down to the stress. Like I was just thinning front to back. I remember seeing a picture of myself in summer 2019 and all you could see was the sun shining off the back of my head. And I was like, what is the point? And I shaved my hair. And then during lockdown, I just was like, I'm going to grow out again. And it's just growing back and it's growing back thicker. And I think that's a, the best physical representation of things coming back, like me coming back or, or this new me even, you know, I don't, if it is a new me and I'm different to the person that I was before this, the mental health issues, then I'm happy with that. Cause I've gotten through something. I've gotten, gotten myself to a place where I can be content with myself. And that is so important to people to, it's not, it's not mental health issues, Robert. Mental health hiccups. They're always gonna. It's always gonna come again. Hiccups. Sorry, I. Uh, I start. I'll try and take yeah. on that terminology. I don't talk. I don't talk to enough people about it. To be honest, I, once it's weird because I've never been shy to talk about it. Even even when I was in when it was rife, you know, when I was having the big hiccup, I tried to like I said, I tried to talk to many people as, as I can. So like, getting an opportunity to talk about it now, this is probably the, the most in depth I've ever talked talking about it I've uh, had an experience that changed my life and it changed the way that I look at other people and I look at me and uh, we need to we need to get people to to talk about it when they go through it and talk about it when they they have got through it and I hope the most yeah. people do because you know we we have uh, I have a lot of friends from the Windsor Boys School still I'm very fortunate I have like a group of like 20 mates and I've I've maybe spoken to one of them about their mental health issues I think I've spoken to about two or three of them in total but like I've only ever spoken to one person about theirs and that scares me because yeah There'll be more out. There'll be loads that yeah. haven't aren't speaking. Basically, yeah. if you've got a group of, I don't know what the, the stats are, but like, if you've got a group of twenty people, there's there's more. And like, some have kids, some have great jobs, some have, you know, have sort of okay jobs. Some aren't are living with their parents. Some aren't. You know, there's all. Everybody's got this different situation, and um, the more that people can feel comfortable talking about things better off we'll all be because it's uh, it's a scary place to be as we all know yeah i'm glad you shared it brother. good to hear it <laughs> yeah that's been it's been very cathartic 
I don't know if a lot of people say that, but yeah, <laughs> do. were you nervous? Do. Um, <laughs> yeah, before talking, or did you feel calm? Uh, I, I wasn't actually, I was kind of, I've been me and Mesh have spoken about this for a while, and um, I've, I've wanted to tell my story because, like I said, it's important to me that we share, and I, I, I haven't shared it in depth with many people, so I wasn't. I, I, I wasn't sure how to how I was going to. I was just trying really hard not to not to sort of like sound negative about anything because I, I don't know. I, just, I feel quite positive at the moment. Even talking about the bad times now, I feel positive about. Like I was saying to people before uh, we before the big release in uh, July or May or whenever it was, when everyone got let out for the summer. I didn't, I didn't like want to go on dating apps because I was scared to talk about like living at home, being with my parents, like not having hair. <laughs> and then I just thought, fuck it. Like, why not? If people don't want to accept me on the, you know, if I'm going on dating apps or if I'm going, meeting people out, they don't want to accept me for who I am because of the situation that I'm in. Regardless, if they're just going to judge me on like what's, what's going on around me, then they're not someone I want in my life. And I've, and it's made me appreciate, that sort of mindset's made me appreciate the people that I do have in my life. And I think I've got a very, like, a great group of people that are, are my support network and various groups of people that I can dip in and out of to have fun, have, enjoy myself. I've always, yeah, it's, these chats are always, um, they are quite positive in the end, actually, I think, because it is, it is people looking back on the time. And it's they've 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 gone yeah. through it, you know, now to look at it. So it's always obviously talking about it, you know, it's not comfortable for some people, but or the people listening, but it's always, you know, something that's happened to someone and they're in a better place now. So it's good to hear. Last bit of business before we go, triple threat round. So it's between you two. So for the coin, the loser's got to do a song, a story, or a joke. It's between you <laughs> two because I lost the last one. As your other guest, Robbo, you can call in the air. Uh, heads. Tails. Song, a story, or a joke. Basically, there's a, uh, a bus full of nuns and the bus crashes. So all the nuns pass away and they go to heaven. And they're at the pearly gates and St. Peter gets them to queue up in a, in a single file line so he can admit, admit them one by one. The first nun gets to the front and he's like, have you got anything to confess? And she goes, well, I did once touch a penis with my little finger. And so he says, okay, dip your finger in the holy water and go on through. The next nun goes up and she says, I accidentally touched the penis with my hand. So he says, all right, dip it in the holy water, you can go through. As the next nun comes up and is about to confess, there's a big kerfuffle going on in the back of the queue. And St. Peter looks over and he's like, Sister Janet, what's wrong? And she goes, well, I want to get in front of Sister, <laughs> in front of Sister Louise before she dips her ass in the holy water. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Cheers, Robert. Cheers, Robert. Love that, boys. Cheers. Take it easy. Please follow and share us on Instagram and Twitter at All Chats Pod with a space.